I'm Tass Mellis of The Starters. This is Ben Golver with the Open Floor Podcast. Hi, I'm Kristen Ludlow from NBA Inside Stuff. I'm OG Ananobi of the Toronto Raptors. Hey, I'm Elena Donon, and welcome to the Double Clutch. Double Clutch. Double Clutch. Double Clutch. Double Clutch Podcast. Good evening and welcome to the Double Clutch Podcast. I'm Mike Miller and tonight joining me is our everyday all-star, the man so nice they named him twice. It's New York Nick, New York Nick Whitfield. How's it going, buddy? I'm good, Mike. How are you? I'm very well. I'm in a good mood, which is, you know, odd, I guess. (laughs) Uh, But, you know, I love talking hoops and that puts me in a good mood. So Monday's work for me. So excellent. Um, And also joining us on the screen. um, Well, if we were a bigger pod, one that had been on NBA TV, perhaps one that now was on The Athletic, then maybe he'd be known as J.E. Sheets. (laughs) But it's just our competitive bed maker, Tom Hall. How's it going, Tom? I'm good, thank you. Yeah, that's an incredible intro. Almost better than Tom Hall of Fame. So it's going up. It's better. (laughs) I'm going to try and beat that at one point. Uh, and the man dropping the beats from behind the wheels of steel, it's Mr. Kirk Killick keeping this show yeah, running. Yeah, welcome, welcome. Uh, <laughs> welcome, everybody. Thank you for joining us uh, for, well, another instalment of the Double Clutch podcast. If you're not already, please make sure you're following us at Double Clutch UK on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. We have a Discord, discord.me slash Double Clutch. We have a Twitch channel if you're not watching this live. It's twitch.tv slash Double Clutch UK. Thank you to everyone who is watching this live. Good to see you all. Uh, good evening, Hit 96 Straight in there in the comments with Hooping and Looting. Evening all. Um, loads and loads of things to get through. Loads and loads and loads of things to get through. Um, but the first thing, obviously... It's the all-star game as last night. Team LeBron smashed Team KD without KD. 170 to 150. Yanis got the MVP, shooting 100% from the field. Uh, finished with, what, 35 points, I think? Uh, 36, 35? One of the two. 36, I'm going to go with. Um, Steph won the three-point contest. Anthony Simons won the dunk contest at halftime, which was a bit odd, and we'll get into that a little bit. Uh, and Sabonis won a battle of the bigs in the skill challenge, uh, beating Nikola Vucevic. Um Guys, your takeaways from All-Star Weekend. I'll, I'll just jump straight in with terrible timing for me um, as a teacher, going back to work today of all days after all this home learning, and then they decide to put the All-Star Weekend, that start, well, the All-Star Day that starts at 11.30 at night, uh, the evening before that. So I didn't manage to catch anything last night, um, but spent a lot of my working day giving students jobs to do so that I could get the highlights on YouTube. Um, <laughs> it was all right. I was, I'm not going to lie. I was a little bit disappointed in the whole thing. It was never going to be the same, but just in the, I know there's never any defense and it just felt a little bit flat to me, the whole thing. But um, in terms of watching highlights, I still got a good like eight minute video out of it um, that the NBA put out. So the, the dunks and the three points uh, that dominated the game didn't disappoint, but maybe the contests, ever so slightly. Nick, what about you? Yeah, I, I do agree. It was a little bit uh, of a disappointment following last year where there was a noticeable rise in intensity from the teams and how hard they competed. Um, there were a couple of things that went a little bit under the radar. Chris Paul became the all-time assist leader in All-Star Games, which uh, I thought was a, a good start. Um, and also just like how I've, I've actually always kind of followed the guards in terms of uh, who I watch in All-Star Games, just because I find them uh, a bit more compelling than the bigs in that context, I think. Um, I think the other one is uh, how Damian Lillard and Steph Curry, how 
easy it is to become desensitized to just how good those guys are at long-range shooting. I honestly think they're probably the best in league history, and we have them both playing right now. So, um, yeah, I couldn't avoid that. And one of the biggest stories which... I have heard no one talking about is Yanis was not the only 100% shooter in that game. Julius Randle, two for two, 100% <laughs> shooting, completely under the radar. Disgusting how uh, no one's discussing that. Yeah, that, those are my uh, all-star takes. I, I was surprised with how many dunks Zion missed yeah. early on. Uh, that, that was, and, and then I remembered, you know, for, he does actually, most of his points come off his own putbacks, despite the fact he's shooting something ridiculous in the paint. Um, I, I I get what you're saying. You know, none of us here really get excited about the All-Star game itself. Um, and I got loads of messages today about, oh, you know, no defense, blah, 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 blah. And I came to this realization because I watched it back and actually I just took it for what it was, which is not a competitive game. It's just literally there so that, you know, historically the people who have forgotten about the NBA because they're watching the NFL and you know noobs uh kids they just see what basketball is supposed to be in terms of highlights it's the packet it's the highlight reel they're selling to get people into the game uh you know people someone said oh they used to play de- defense in the 90s I was like well not really defense I mean relative to defense in the 90s NBA they didn't play defense relative to defense now they played defense um so I don't know. I, I I became at peace with the All Star Game last night and just enjoyed it for what it was. And I actually liked the fact it was all on one night. Um, I thought three point contest was good. Uh, dunk contest was was okay. I actually prefer it to a halftime show. I would, I would take that twenty five minutes. Bit of a weird ending, but um, I would take that for just a twenty five minute. Get it done and dusted. Uh, what was your favourite dunk from the dunk contest? Anything in particular stand out to you? I mean, the, the kiss one, had it come off, would have been really nice. Um, but I think, I mean, just the fact that he didn't quite get there, I feel like it summed up the dunk competition because <laughs> they were all like very good athletic dunks, but there was nothing that was really special that I think we'll be talking about in a year or two's time, like we do with the Aaron Gordon, Zach Levine stuff. Yeah, I think, um, I agree with Tom, the Anthony Simons kiss the rim was the best dunk we saw. Uh, except Cassius Stanley had a miss where I think he was going to go like under uh, both legs uh, that he he couldn't put it down but had that dropped I think that actually would have been a, a better more impressive dunk um, but yeah as you say it, it was it was kind of a, a bit of a forgettable dunk contest for me yeah yeah it it, it was um, I kind of appreciated the 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 left leg then under the left leg that opened it. And I really, I really liked the the taking the ball off the twelve foot marker. Mm-hmm. I don't know why. Like, and it was just a simple dunk, but that's a six three guy reaching twelve foot in the air, and I was just like, okay, that's that's a pogo stick. Um, Yanis is MVP. So we 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 spoke last week on the show. You guys weren't on it, obviously, but about how you know the media were out to get him at the start of the season. You know, as soon as last season ended, he can't be MVP now. We're sort of seeing him round into form now. And we've got a very, um, you know, a, a media base that is very uh, moment based on the moment, and it is now. So this now he's the MVP of the All Star Game. Do you think there's going to be a change in the media narrative, and perhaps he has more of a chance to get an MVP? Honestly, I don't think we can look too much into it. Um, 
I think, I mean, Bill Simmons said it on his pod earlier. It was probably the, the quietest 35 points that anyone's had. Um, it, was that because there were only 2,800 people watching? <laughs> there were, yeah, that too. But also, like, it, it all came pretty early on in the game. Um, and it's a lot of dunks and things that are just wide open. And in many ways, the All-Star game is built for someone like Giannis to just dominate. Um, it certainly doesn't do his MVP candidacy any harm. But I think, as you already discussed last week, um, he's going to have to do something immense in the last few games, just just purely by the fact that he's won it for the past two years. I think uh, the thing that undermines it as well is the numbers for Yanis are great. And don't get me wrong, I love Yanis, but when you watch the game and he's driving and people are actively getting out of the way as he goes <laughs> to the rim, it's kind of, there's, you can read too much into those numbers, I think. Um, mm-hmm. I think, and the other thing is, and I know we're going to get onto this in a minute, but like Embiid is the only guy who probably would have changed that dynamic a little bit as the only guy who would have taken any pride at all in defending the rim against Yanis because the others are just kind of... Uh, take the less uh, potentially embarrassing route and not try and get in his way. Um, Just quickly on uh, Anthony Simons as we play his dunks down there. He's actually, uh, I I think this may actually be the start for him of people taking a bit more notice of him because he caught my eye when um, the Blazers played the Knicks earlier in the season. And I've been kind of following him a little bit ever since. And he has some surprisingly good numbers as well. So I was doing a bit of digging before the pod. And in terms of players in the NBA who've taken at least 40 spot-up jump shots, he's currently third in the NBA in points per possession. And what's funny and quirky about that metric is there's two players above him. And can you guess who those players are? Two players above him. What was the metric? Sorry. Points per possession on... So basically efficiency on uh, catch and shoot jumpers. Oh, Catch and shoot jumpers. Uh, Chris Middleton. Random guess. No, I'm just going to tell you because... <laughs> go on. Damien Lillard. He is one of them. And, and I'm going to go so much stupid because it sounds like a weird... <laughs> th- CJ McCollum as well. Correct. Wow. So top three efficient jump shooters in the NBA this season. Damien Lillard, CJ McCollum, Anthony Simons. And that's why uh, the Blazers have been able to play like they have, just because they're shooting the ball better than other teams, basically. But yeah, Anthony Simons, he he creates uh, not just um, unguarded shots either. That guy really is a good shooter when contested as well. So uh, yeah, if if you're watching a Blazers game, do look out for him because he's more than just a dunker. Yeah, for the, for the three people who do watch Blazers games in the UK, <laughs> he's the one to watch out for now. Um, I think I just it's just not a big enough market for people to pay attention to, yeah. and I say that he seems like he may be like an evolved version of Gerald Green, who's like he's got all the hops and everything, but he can shoot the ball. He's just like he could well be like a way better version of that player. That's that's a really good comp actually, because for the past few years, Anthony Simons has been the guy where it's like this guy is going to be amazing, and he's still not quite got there. In many ways, like Gerald Green, never quite did it permanently. So, like you say, he could be that guy forever. We don't know. So, so let's move on to uh, two players who were both there and not there. That's almost Schrodinger's cat, isn't it? So, Rivers' cats, um, M- Embiid and Simmons were supposed to be part of the game uh, due to COVID protocols and tracing from their personal barber. I wish I had not even a personal <laughs> barber, just a barber right now. Um, 
they both missed the game because he tested positive. This, this, you know, the All Star game was there was quite an anti All Star movement to start with. The games happen now. Obviously, Silver said you can't judge it until it's happened. Two players have missed it, and this could potentially mean that the ten day, whenever the ten day window started for them, could mean they miss up to three games of the restart this week. Um, what are your guys' thoughts on it uh, as an unnecessary risk? The potential impact this could have on on Philly's restart. I mean, they've got the Bulls, the Wizards, and the Spurs. They're not cakewalks. Um, do you think this is going to have any impact on the way they start the second half of the season? Quite possibly. I think we knew that the All-Star game was always going to happen just for money. Um, it, what what worried me was when I think Woj put out the tweet and he was like, this was part of the NBA's worst case scenario when you have the possibility of um, every single player, like all of these best players in the league that are grouped together could all get it. And then you basically got that massive draw of people watching the NBA for these players is then taken away for like 10 days or whatever. So it's a good thing that at least only these two guys got it. Um, but I think it is going to affect Philly. Uh, the fact that it, they've got a few days off before and they've only got three games, they're still quite fortunate relative to some of these other teams like Washington and loads that we could we could name that have like lost players for weeks. Um, and they've, ne- they've still not had a consistent roster where they're playing um, their best team over and over again. So I don't think they can complain about too much um, but yeah, for, for players that were already not happy about going to the All-Star break, this doesn't really do the, the NBA any favours. Yeah, I, I think Philly is obviously going to miss those guys big time um, for the games they're missing. Um, but uh, I have no doubts they're going to pick it straight up afterwards. Um, for me, it was really like an ominous sign for uh, the playoffs in terms of the bubble was one thing where it was very unlikely in those conditions that they would have uh, issues with COVID unless something went drastically wrong because it was done so well and so efficiently. But if they're going to be traveling, if they're letting fans back into the games, if guys are kind of trying to follow rules, but almost doing what they want in terms of like outside of their practice and all the rest of it. It just seems a lot more likely that come playoff time, at least one team is going to have serious uh, issues with players missing. Um, And I think like Simmons and Embiid missing at the same time, for example, from the All-Star game is a sort of an early warning sign of that. Yeah, that thought ran through my mind. And then I I guess the gamble they're making is that by the time the playoffs roll around in, sort of June time, is that some vaccinations will have been rolled out. So these guys should be uh, more immune to catching it than they were before. But there's still going to have to be some protocols in place. So it's it's just an interesting strategy. Maybe this was the trial for the playoffs. And you'd hate for a, a game of significance or a series to be decided by one team not being able to, to you know, to lace, you have their, their best players lace them up. Um, Speaking of players lacing them up, Blake Griffin will be tying his... Is he still with Jordan Brand? That was a great segue, by the way. Great segue. (laughs) 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 We'll be lacing them up for the Brooklyn Nets. Um, Realistically, at at this point, what can he do from an impact perspective? Obviously, he's a six-time All-Star, five-time All-NBA, was the Rookie of the Year in 2011, but that's a full decade ago, and those knees have taken an absolute battering uh, since then. So what, what do you see happening here? There's been a lot of buzz about Blake. Um, 
And to be fair, I was expecting like the, all the Nets fans to be going crazy, like, oh, look at this team. We've got all these all-stars, even though Blake's not been more afraid. And I think I heard it earlier that he's not dunked since 2019, which is obviously what he's, he's best known for historically. Um, but to be fair, and I listened to a bit of the the BK to UK podcast, which Matt Hardy does, just to kind of get what the actual Nets fans think about it. Um, and it was a really level-headed response in terms of, um, we know what he's not now. We know that he's not the all-star he once was. Um, but as much as it pains me to say it, because I really wanted to come in hot and be like, I hate this for Brooklyn. Um, they're paying him, what, 1.2, 1.4 million the rest of the year. Yeah. Even if he like turns out that he can't play, he, when you're spending that much money, um, you can't really complain. So I think it's it's a decent signing. There's a lot of teams that will be disappointed that they couldn't sign him as well. Um, and even if he just gives them some perimeter shooting, a little bit of size. I know defensively he's not answering any questions, but um, it's not a bad signing for that amount of money. Yeah, I think it's an interesting one with uh, Blake in that, because uh, I've been, um, I feel like I was early on the Blake might be done bandwagon. I, we played, uh, and by we, I mean the Knicks, played the Clippers, uh, sorry, the Pistons early in the season. And um it was one of the saddest things I've ever seen on an NBA call, actually, where uh, Blake like faked a three-point shot. The defender jumped. The lane just completely opened up for him. And he clearly just had like no lift mm-hmm. from his legs at all, like nothing. He had nothing to give. Uh, and he just kind of laid the ball in, barely getting off the floor. And that was kind of... After I saw that, I was like, oh, wow, Like that looks like a different guy to me. Um, which, again, as I say, I've always been a fan of Blake, so it's like horrible to see that. But uh, I was looking at the numbers before this pod, and one of the only uh, things that Blake has been doing at above average efficiency this season is as a pick-and-roll ball handler, which if you were to rate things the Nets needed and didn't need, <laughs> that's probably number one on what they do not need. Um, so he, he's it's, it's going to be interesting. He's going to have to pick up certain things. Uh, he's going to have to shoot the ball better when he's open, uh, which on that team, he's going to be open a lot. Uh, he's going to have to rebound better. He's going to have to make more effort on defense because you say on this team, he is going to be a role player and he's going to have to get used to that. So I, I think he's the kind of guy who will adjust to that. So I, I, and as you say, they're not paying him very much. So, yeah, I'm kind of, uh, it is what it is. He's, he's a good passer of the ball still. Uh, he can provide versatility and depth um, and they're not expecting too much out of him. So yeah, it's kind of one of those moves. We have to talk about it because he's Blake Griffin, but yeah, in the grand scheme of things, it's probably not the most important move for them. Yeah. I, I, I like it. Anytime you can pick someone up for that price, absolutely do it. Um, the last full season he played, 18-19, he shot 36.2 from three on seven attempts. So he has got it. If he, As long as his legs can give him enough lift to, to shoot a jumper, that's fine. Not historically a great rebounder, but I mean, <laughs> you're not going to turn it down. Uh, there was a lot of conversation about the money left on the table. Mm-hmm. Uh, 13.3 million. So he was due 36.595 for this full season, uh, 38.957. So basically 75 million over the next two years. He's, he's given back, given back 13.3 million. And people were like, oh, well, that's that's a, a silly move from him. But I actually think the Pistons have been robbed here because they're paying like 26 million for him next year still. And he's obviously given back 13.3 
I did some stupid maths earlier because I get bored like this. Uh, so given that 1.2 million back, that's 63.2. So he's only 12 million shy of his previous salary total, and he can sign anywhere. Just for reference, Trevor Ariza is getting 12.8 million this season. Dylan Brooks is getting 11.4 million. Miles Plumley 12.5. DeAndre Jordan, 10.3. He could lose lose no money at all from this, and he's just managed to work his way out of a team he didn't want to be on. It's going to look great, though, isn't he? Because, I mean, you look at someone like Bruce Brown, who, before this season, like, if you were a, a casual NBA fan, you would not know who that guy is. And then he's come in, and he had 29 the other night against Sacramento. Um, he's averaging 18 over his last six games, and is, like, looking really good, playing centre at six foot four. Um, so I don't think you could, you you couldn't want to walk into a better situation than you've got in Brooklyn in terms of you've just got to be there to catch the ball when Harden throws it to you and you're wide open. Um, having said that, my only question is, just to throw some kind of semi-hot take in there, um, do you reckon he gets into their playoff rotation just because he's going to be someone that, again, people will look to attack on defence? Um, no. If he's your big man. <laughs> then I just wonder, like, that that's going to leave him another massive hole. Um, so I just wonder if he actually gets much game time when it comes down to it. I mean, it's the cheats way out, but the easy answer is depends on matchups. Because there there is an, a, an option there where offensively he spreads it five out mm-hmm. and it opens up the lanes for KD, Kyrie, James Harden. And then if there's help defender coming, he can just sit in the corner. Yeah. I think the same as Mike as well, because if you're four and five are Blake Griffin and Kevin Durant, that's a pretty tough uh, lineup to defend based on mm-hmm. their ability to drive, pass, shoot. Um, so yeah, it, unless like the Sixers are obviously the one they're going to struggle to defend and beat unless DeAndre Jordan has the series of his life, obviously. Um, but outside of that, they probably cause more problems for other teams than vice versa. Yeah, they've got a nice little um, schedule to sort of bed him in as well. Not you know, not expecting big things from him, but they've got the second easiest schedule, uh, strength of schedule remaining for for the second half of the season. Um, they're obviously playing, they're rolling without KD at the minute, uh, and can seamlessly sort of fit him back in as they need to. Uh, I know you guys like to talk about the Nets' defense, and obviously we're not saying Blake will have any impact on that at all. But the Nets in general, defensive rating over the last fifteen games was twenty fourth. I'm just I'm, I'm doing this purely to see watch Tom's eyes. Uh, over the last ten games, twentieth. So that's that's an improvement. Over the last five <laughs> games, thirteenth. Are they getting better? Look at his <laughs> hand over his eyes. Next, I've not enjoyed for anyone that's not seen it on Twitter. <laughs> what feels like every day for the past month has been Mike tagging me every morning after the Nets have won. Um, all the Knicks have all won, which is again to be almost yeah. every day. <laughs> so it's uh, it's not being fun. I still stand by it that come late in the playoffs, they're going to struggle. Um, but yeah, my original takes aren't looking great right now. <clears throat> well, we'll see. There's still plenty of time to go, uh, which which brings us on to the second half of the season. Let's get some predictions in. Uh, just in, in general, let's talk uh, about the wider NBA, do you, is there is there a particular team that you have a prediction for over the second half of of the season? Nick, I'll let you go. So we've already been talking about them. I'm going all in on the Nets, saying they are going to win the championship. Wow! Wow! Just out of interest, what an act. Uh, has the needle moved 
at all with the announcement of, of Griffin signing? Was or were you already all in there winning? That's a cherry on the cake scenario for me, where I look at how good they are now, uh, and I think about how good Kevin Durant is at basketball, and. I just think in terms of going back and forth in a playoff series, trying to defend all those guys, I don't see how any team does it. I, think that's, I mean, offensively, they're, they're just historically great. Like, it's, it's ridiculous. Um, yeah. <laughs> how are you going to keep up with them? And even in the half court, that, those guys can break down a half court defense with, I don't know, it's, it's, it is a sort of pick your poison kind of situation with that three-headed monster. Uh, Tom, you, you obviously you're... You're not agreeing with that because you, you literally two minutes ago yeah. said you expect them in the later rounds to fail. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's just because of the big men matchup. Um, but we don't need to go into that. It seems like every podcast I'm on now, that's where we end up. Um, my <laughs> my predictions for the future are probably a lot more bland than that. Um, I do want to double down. I, <laughs> I wanted to double down on the Knicks declining. Um, but okay. every time I want to do that, it just feels like that's... I, it feels like it's inevitable, but it felt like that from the very first game of the season and it's not happened yet. So um, we'll see. I think that might happen. I think we'll see a bit of a rise from the Hawks now. They've got Nate McMillan in charge and Trey Young and John Collins and all those guys are a bit more on board with the guy that's running the team. Um, and I, I am hoping, it's more of a hope than a prediction, that we see a lot more trades just in the coming weeks because I think you've got a few teams like the Magic, Cleveland, maybe Sacramento and Houston, um, that are probably the only sellers in the leagues now where you've got so many people that are, think they can make the play in and actually make a run for the playoffs um, that will be looking to to bring on that extra piece. So I'm hoping that we start to see some movement from those batches of teams. We we know you love a good trade. Um, Ooh, yes. The Knicks then, this, this decline, do you see them? So they're currently the fifth seed. I think they've got uh, what mm-hmm. like 19 and 18 or something like that. Um, do you see them falling out of the the top six, out of the 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 eight to oh sorry the the, the seven to ten play in spot. Are you saying they're not even going to make the play in tournament? <laughs> I, know what, I know, here, no, I know what you're doing now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's, I'm just keen. It's you're about a decline. They're only it, the, you know the fifth seed. It's a real cluster there, so it's yeah, not yeah, hard yeah. for them. You know, a couple of lost games and they will drop down. So I think seven to ten is reasonable. For them, I will allow that opinion. A playing team, you're going to allow the opinion that they could be a playing team. Okay, cool. Um, the, the Suns, is anyone in on the Suns being you know contenders out west now? Can I just say one thing about the Knicks quickly? I was uh, sorry, did we not even let you say anything on the Knicks? No, I, was, I was waiting very patiently there. So, the thing with the Knicks to monitor, and this, uh, I noticed it right at the beginning of the year, and it's become a little bit of a talking point now, is that when you look at unguarded shot metrics against the Knicks, they are either doing something or are very lucky in that teams shoot the worst percentage on uncontested shots against the Knicks. And it was one thing I was looking at early in the season when we were kind of better than we expected to be, thinking, all right, this is just going to kind of revert to the norm and we're not actually as good as our record suggests. It's just kind of a bit inflated based on random shooting metrics. But the thing is, that's actually remained quite constant for the entire first half of the season. So whether that is a a quirky, lucky thing for the Knicks or whether they're doing something defensively 
that results in teams shooting worse, it remains to be seen at this point. But it's just something to monitor moving as moving into the second half of the season because even if teams shot a league average percentage against the Knicks when they're completely unguarded, their record would not be what it is now. So that if they're going to decline, it's because of that probably. What about it being? Could it be the lighting in MSG <laughs> done something funky? Who knows? Lack of fans. They're not seeing fans with bags on their heads. That's what it <laughs> is. Um, okay, so uh, do you think the Jazz can hold on to the top seed? They have the easiest strength of schedule remaining. They've obviously had a little bit of a stumble the past few games, but um, just have been phenomenal thus far. Do you, th- do you think this is, you know, they are the team to, to take that number one seed? It's very possible. And for the past few seasons, they've what they've done a lot is start very badly and then always seem to finish really strong. And whether that's a mm-hmm. Quinn Snyder thing or just a franchise thing, I don't know. So, I mean, if things get any better, they're just going to win every game going forward. So I think it's realistic. Um, it's probably theirs to lose because I know everyone's fairly close together, but the Jazz do have um, a little bit of a cushion. So um, it's in their hands. And I think they are definitely favourites for it at the moment. Yeah, I also think they're very well set up for the regular season because they're when you look at outside of Gobert, how much of their team can shoot incredibly well, uh, put the ball on the floor, pass the ball incredibly well, the system they run where it's not overly reliant on any one offensive player, they're kind of a little bit more, um, or they're less reliant on any one individual player. So even if they miss players or players get injured or when you look at how well like Clarkson's come off the bench, for example, like they, they could miss two or three players and probably still carry on quite well in a similar way to the Blazers have versus the Lakers, say, who have taken, made a noticeable decline with AD out because they're so reliant on the top of that team. So, yeah, it, I, I think they'll finish top in the West. I think that probably uh, over-inflates how good they might be in the playoffs. I think they'll be good, don't get me wrong, but I don't think they're like the favourite or anything yeah. at West. I, the thing I like about their offense is the ball movement. I, I, it just evokes memories of I want to say the thirteen fourteen Spurs were the ones that you know the beautiful basketball, and it's not quite that level. But some of the the way they move the ball around almost effortlessly, and that you know largely only one of them's move, moving at the time, uh, and it's just the ball is fizzing around the outside to use a, a Lee Ellisism. Um, I just uh, it's just beautiful basketball to watch. Uh let, let's move on to then uh, a prediction for a player. Is there any particular player that you have a prediction for this season whether that's to a, a decline in performance or that they're going to step up and and sort of take their team by the uh sort of by the scruff of the neck and drag them up? Mine's a bit of a spoiler um for nothing very big but hopefully it'll encourage people to read one of my articles that's coming out hopefully in the next week. Um and that is I've been looking at who I think should be favorite for the MVP. Um, and obviously all the talk at the moment is Embiid with LeBron kind of in the background um, just because he probably deserves them deserves more than he's had over the past few seasons. But I actually think, looking at the statistics, um, that Jokic should be getting a lot more talk and he should be the favourite for the MVP because he's leading he's my every single category. He's absolutely carrying the nuggets. Um, he's got another really inconsistent Jamal Murray season. Um, and so I think there should be more, probably, more buzz about him and give him more credit because... Um, although he's what seventh, sixth or seventh in the West, and people are kind of using that against him. Um, actually, they're within like one or two games of like the top 
few teams. So um, I think he needs to get a bit more recognition and he probably will do towards the end of the season. At what point do you think people will give the team, you know, you know they'll give him a pass on the team's record? Because obviously it's not the same situation, but when uh, Westbrook won his, uh, well, I can't remember how many years that was now, four years ago or so, they, I think they finished sixth. But obviously that was the, the departure of KD uh, and he was considered to have been left with with nothing when actually, you know, we look now, he had Oladipo who was on the up, he had Sabonis, he had Stephen Adams. Um, so so is there a point where you think that in the standings that the, the, the Nuggets get to where people are like, okay, actually this team is good enough for him to be right there as a front runner? It's hard because it's it's all in the shadow of what we saw in the playoffs last year. Um, when they look so good and Jamal Murray looked really good. And then to, they've had a flat start. Everyone knows that. I think if he can take them to six or above, I think that's that's pretty strong for Denver, considering the teams that they're competing with in the West especially. Mm-hmm. Um, if they end up falling into that play-in range, I think it looks a bit more sketchy, um, especially with it being a play-in now and it's not guaranteed the playoffs if they finish seventh or eighth. Um, I think he'll probably get more questions and it doesn't look great from a narrative standpoint. So probably sixth or above. Nick, do you think Jokic has a shat? Uh, shat. <laughs> <laughs> Don't even want to know. He said he was going to eat badly this week, so maybe he does. But uh, do you think he has a, a shout at the, at the MVP? <laughs> <laughs> uh, it oh, depends brilliant. how much fibre he's eaten, really. Um, <laughs> it does, it does. Uh, no, I, th- I think, um, no, I do agree. Jokic has been uh, incredible this season. Um, so, yeah, I definitely wouldn't rule it out. But I'm going to throw another name in, which uh, I threw out earlier this season, and then I felt like it, uh, a lot of people I heard on podcasts and stuff say it right after that, so I felt less clever because it seemed like everyone else said it at the same time. But the scene is potentially set for Damian Lillard to have a run this year as well. The Blazers sit fifth with uh, quite another, again, a decimated roster. Mm-hmm. And if like they're set to get McCollum back and let's say they go on a big run in the second half, his clutch numbers in particular and how he's kind of winning games at the end of tight games has been incredible this season. So there is a world in which Damian Lillard could become uh, a, a real contender for the MVP as well. Yeah, uh, absolutely. The way that he's carried the team uh, in the absences. Uh, obviously, with McCollum and Nurkic coming back, that could springboard them upwards. Do you think that could take any shine away from his individual campaign? No, just because I think it's, it's accepted at this point. He is the heart and soul of that team. So obviously his, his numbers may go down a bit, but his efficiency will probably go up and... Uh, I don't think anyone will be in any doubt as to why the Blazers are at the top of the West if that happens. Any any Dame thoughts from you, Tom? Yeah, I mean, if you're looking just at the numbers, in every category that historically links to winning the MVP and getting voted first place, um, Jokic is winning all of them quite considerably. Um, the thing that Jokic doesn't have that Lillard does is, like you say, Nick, those clutch moments. Um, and the yeah, the headline-grabbing moments where you're reading about him the next day... Um, in the news and that, that really helps them from a narrative standpoint. And so it just depends which way the media is going to swing come the end of the year. Cause you're going to have a few that are saying, well, when the numbers are this close, you need to swing towards like the narrative side of it. If Jokic can continue being um, as transcendent with the statistics, like I think it was before he played his last game before the all-star break, um, he had the best PR in history. 
Um, and even now he's fifth all time, which is just ridiculous. But he's not getting talked about in that kind of regard. So um, for me, if Jokic maintains it, he's still the favourite. But if Lillard carries on, and like you say, carries him to a good playoff seed, then he's definitely up there with him. Yeah, I've, I, I, I don't have any arguments about Dame getting it. I just don't think that they're too small of a... Uh, too small of a market you'll have to put him like you know like in a milk cart and a milk bottle like a missing sticker or something for people <laughs> to actually be aware of his presence um i'm go- i went lower down pecking order i've gone with jar morant who obviously picked up a, a quite a significant ankle twist uh probably about eight ten weeks ago now which just absolutely uh ruined my fantasy league team um but he's pushing back. He seems to be rounding into shape. He's had a few good games before the break. They've obviously, the, the Grizzlies are 10th. They've got a 500 record. And Justice Winslow's back. And I think that's a big thing for the Grizzlies. Uh, I think he's extremely underrated. Just a shame he can't stay healthy. I'm expecting Jar Morant to really put this team on their on their, on his back and um, push this team into, you know, pushing him actually for a sixth seed. Is is that too much? Or am I, am I go, have, I, have I drunk too much? Morant Kool Aid. Uh, I don't. I, I mean, he he's been so impressive. I would fill a milk bottle with Jar Morant Kool Aid and <laughs> drink it over and over again. Um, so no, I, I'm all in on all Jar Morant positivity. Yeah, he deserves all the hype. Um, and Memphis is one of those teams where you're looking down the West, and they just have like last year. They have no place being in contention, really, without someone like Jar really carrying them. Um, I just think they've got a lot of really underrated players on that squad that seem to play much better as a unit than they do as individuals. So um, credit to them. They're another one where, like you were on about Portland, Memphis probably even more so, where like they just don't get any recognition and they're such a small market that no one really notices them until the end of the year. And then they're there around the 6, 7, 8 seed and it's like, what happened here? So um, most of that is credit to Jar. Um yeah, he is that good. Okay, let's move on to uh, replays. So that's something that's been talked a lot about at the moment and the value of the replays, the referees, are obviously reviewing calls, breaks in games in general, whether that's good or bad in terms of, um, you know, making the right call versus the flow of the game. Nick, I know you had an opinion on this, so I wanted to get your thoughts on it. So if you want to yeah, share them I with us all. Yeah, I am all out on uh, replays in general. During the regular season, I just think the it's really counterproductive to be OCD about like whether the ball touched someone's shorts on the way out of bounds. I, I just think it makes it a much better experience to watch uh, when the game flows a bit more. When the last two minutes can end up taking half an hour, I yeah. think it, it becomes really difficult to watch at that point for me. And I think in the playoffs, it's slightly different where the outcome of every individual game is uh, really crucial, but particularly in the regular season where you're like seeing teams resting guys and you've got teams tanking and like, it's very clear that like every single game isn't that important. So particularly for regular season games, for me, the flow of the game and getting through the game is way more important than like every single call. Yeah, that's fair. Tom, what's, what's your thoughts on it? Yeah, I honestly hate it. And it's not the... This- the fact that it's specifically a replay, like I don't mind that, but it's like you said, Nick, you can, you're watching it with like a minute left. It's, and it's when you, you're watching it on League Pass the following day and you've got like a minute left and you can see that there's 25 minutes left to go. And it's like, <laughs> what what on earth? Um, and I always feel like it's it's the main thing for me when 
I'm trying to like share basketball with people that don't like basketball and I'm trying to get them to watch it. Their criticism is always, it's just so stop start. There's so many breaks. Um, and my response is usually, yeah, but not as much as the NFL, which is true. <laughs> but still, I always feel like I have to apologize for the end of games when it should be the best part. You want everybody tuning in to see what's going to happen at the end. And instead you have 20 minutes of players sitting around like in team talks and the referees trying to figure something out that we all know what the, the outcome's going to be because we can see it straight away. Um, and it just really disrupts it. I, I would even go further and reduce some of the timeouts, which I know they did a few years ago, just to speed it up. I actually find the the first quarter is sometimes a lot more fun to watch now than the fourth, which should never yeah. be the case. Definitely. Yeah, um, a quick shout out to the Drew League for for hosting us on Twitch. Much appreciated. Um, I think I think there needs to be a balance struck. Essentially, they need they do need the right outcome because as much as you know, a team might be tanking or whatever, and the, and the result might be uh, not consequential to, to you know the grand scheme of things or inconsequential rather. Um, with all the eyes that there is on the game now and the immediacy at which things hit Twitter, I just think it's a bad luck if mm, if yeah. if uh, games are decided. In, with incorrect outcomes, where they, ha- you know, we've already get things like the, la- the last two minute reports, things like that, and refs get hauled over the co- coals for that. It is a difficult job. We get that. The way it's working now doesn't work efficiently. If like, I don't watch any other sport really, but when I have watched rugby, that that seems to be a really slick process of just you know, it, it does like the little box sign or something, and someone just goes in his ear, yeah, try, no try. And they just need someone to make a snap decision like that a lot quicker, straight down to the referees. None of this hoiking out the the Samsung sponsored screen so they can get another bit of product placement in. None of the huddled round. Uh, none of hearing Chris Weber and, and Reggie Miller any more than we actually need to. Um, it there needs a, to be a better balance. But I wouldn't, like I said with COVID earlier, I wouldn't want a game series or even finals outcome to be decided by an incorrect call. And I think Kings fans from 2000 and what was it, 2002? Or I think that Kings fans back then would probably agree with me. Um, so just to uh, throw one last thing in there, Mike, and I, I, I think you're really onto something there with uh, what we talked about it in our channels a little bit in terms of with discussions over the past year or so over prior referees and their conduct in the NBA in terms of uh, being, uh, how should we word this? Uh, not necessarily the, no, I'm just going to say it, like corrupt referees, basically, uh, it being mm-hmm. an open, discussed topic. Yeah. Uh, like in, and I think you look at that Kings Lakers series as an obvious uh, hotspot um, where, and I think one of the reasons we're seeing replays and other referees be involved now is to counter that perception where, if they've gone to the video replay, if multiple referees are looking at any important call, it reduces any accusation of referee corruption. So I feel like that's been a really important point for the league to counter because of what's come out in the last year or so. Yeah, that is an interesting one. We could probably deep dive on that uh, uh, a whole other podcast. And if anyone hasn't already uh, listened to the the podcast series Whistleblower uh do so. It will open your eyes as to uh, Tim Donaghy's uh, ability to swing games and the time he spent in prison as a result of it. Um, let's move on to uh, uh, discourse on Discord, Talking D. Um, 
got a couple of bits to get through. Uh, the first one is a Fantasy League update, which you two didn't know was coming. Ooh. So midway through the 11th weekly matchup, Nottingham Gamma undefeated, still at 10-0. Second in the standings, uh, Raging Bowl, our very own Tom, uh, with an 8-2 and record. Uh, significantly further down the standings is Too Good to Be Drew, which is Nick's team. They're 17th. Uh, with a three and seven record, but they have the same record as the fifteenth seed and the sixteenth seed. They're only one game back on the twelfth seed, so it's a bit like the Eastern Conference out there, where outside of the top four, everyone is really clustered together. Uh, I just wanted to get your thoughts on how it's gone so far. Uh, what you think you can do to well for Nick to save your uh, GM position for next season, perhaps, and and then Tom, you know, what your hopes are for the playoffs. Well, I had a bad week in that I had uh, two game days before the All-Star game where I forgot to set my team, which was not a good uh, look for Killer. that week. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I didn't have much of a chance on it. But other than that, my, my record, uh, all of my wins came in like the last, I think I'm like three and two on the last five game weeks. So uh, significant upturn from the disastrous start I had. Well, you've got four weeks to go until the playoffs start and 16 teams make the playoffs, so there's still a decent chance you can get to the playoffs. Uh, Tom, sitting almost pretty at the top, uh, what's it like up there? <laughs> I feel like I've learned a lot um, in terms of next year because I've never played this one where we've got the categories. Like I've always just done it where you just get points at the end of it. So um, I think I picked my team originally just about scoring and I think when I do it next year, I'm going to be considering things like rebounds and double-doubles and all that kind of thing. I will shout out Rich Fang, who is a frequent watcher of the stream and is just absolutely killing everyone at the top of the league. Um, it, it's game over for He's me. He's killing everyone with trades it, that yeah. people are accepting. It's ridiculous. In fact, it's not him. It's the people that accept these trades. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, it's one thing to ask for it. It's another thing to go, yeah, that sounds good. I'll give yeah. you that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's I, game I over for me. But... give up, though, after, after the millionth trade he sent them in a day, they just give up and say yes, just to stop. <laughs> he hasn't yet prized Drummond from you though has he <laughs> for me it's like what they say about Danny Ainge when it's like people just don't want to accept a trade from him just because they know that it's him making the trade and he's probably going to come off the better of the two parties yeah. so uh, uh, also in the uh, the discord the Top Shot channel has been pumping there have been a number of drops over the past week um, on Top Shot uh, what do we have we had a, a, a rare pack last I want to say a week ago Friday, uh, which I failed on. Then there was the pre-order, which we've got coming on the 14th. Mm-hmm. Then they did Friday, Saturday, Sunday drops. <clears throat> they split the, the the pack drops out, and I took an L on every single one, and our, our good friend here, Tom, didn't. And then they had a rare pack drop. Uh, what was it? The uh, Rising Stars 2021 rookie – or Rising Stars in 2021. Yeah. That dropped last night at $200, and I, I – I didn't get that one either. I'm just taking hours left, right, and center on Top Shot at the minute. Uh, but there's been a number of people getting interested in it. We've seen. Do you know? What, do you know? What this really wound me up was how casually uh, in the in the Discord, Ginger Shack was like, "Oh, so I just get in the queue and then get my <laughs> no. cards, and that's oh, it." And I was like, "Well, yeah, like <laughs> on the final day of it." And he rocked up and pulled a bag, oh. uh, like <laughs> pulled a pack, and I was sat there having, you know queued up at six the day before queued up at 1am the night of and then queued up at six again the next day and mm. i didn't i didn't get anything i just caught l i was i was raging but uh top shot is is taking off it's obviously the buzz around the nba at the minute i know that nick um 
has not got any interest in Top Shot at all. So I'm keen to see, uh, you know, his thoughts before we before we do uh, something quite cool in a minute, which is having a, a Top Shot hot pop with Tom Hall popping a pack. Um, Nick, your thoughts on this craze sweeping the the NBA fandom? <laughs> yeah, it's one of those things where I work. I've worked in technology for a long time, and I'm a basketball junkie. So in theory, it should be right up my street. But the thing it reminds me of is, uh, as a sneakerhead, it kind of reminds me of the like hype beast shoes that like normal people can't buy on an app unless you're like super botted or related to someone senior at Nike. And <laughs> they, these things that you can't buy that then have like astronomical values beyond anything that is like related to what they actually are. And you end up with like people who buy shoes they don't even want to wear just because they're like have value that they can potentially sell and it's just about making money. And so that's as someone who like uh I kind of remove myself from that. I don't even try and get those shoes, even though I'm a self-confessed sneaker guy. Um in the same way I, I don't really gamble in general just because it's Again, it's not really my thing. I'd rather spend money on stuff I enjoy or want. So it's one of those things, like, I'm not against it. It's just, like, not for me. And, like, people are making money out of it. I get it. Um, and my the thing I'm curious about that I was uh, saying in our chat on Discord was right now, like, it's so hot that, like, they're, that, uh, like, they're queuing up. You know, people are queuing up for hours just to buy one. And I'm curious that, like, in a year's time, say, when the hype dies down a bit and the people who aren't interested in basketball or non or like interested in crypto or any of these things, the value is likely to be a bit more realistic at that point as to like what it's going to be long term for different cards. And it kind of reminds me of NBA, uh, my team as well, and NBA 2K, where cards drop and they're incredibly valuable. Um, and if you if you, if you can play that economy, you can do really well out of it. But whether I could be bothered to do that and spend the time doing it is another thing. So, yeah, that, that's kind of where I stand. I'm not against it. I don't. Uh, I'll live vicariously through you guys and everyone else who plays it. I just can't be bothered to do it myself. No, I, I, I think you make some good points there. Um, I think there's well, there has been some and market dip as more people have got onto the platform. And more cards, you know, the circulation counts have had to be increased. So we've seen card values uh, dip significantly over the last two weeks, I'd say. Um, some of the rarer ones are still holding their value at this point. And you're right about the My Team comp. That's a perfect comp because they they run uh, challenges where if you collect certain certain cards, you will be rewarded with a, a limited mint card, you know, of another player. Um so, for example, there's a KD one running at the minute where the only way to get this KD card is to have all of the players who were, you know, played for Team KD last night. Um, and I guess as soon as that challenge is finished and the next challenge starts, the value of the cards you needed to get the KD card will just take an absolute dive because no one, there isn't a need for them anymore. Um, but I think there are cards out there that will retain value long term it's just it's just finding them and getting hold of them um but let's get into it let's let's kirk can you uh flip up let's the uh, the screen for us this has been oh, the oh, toughest this has been the toughest 
48 hours of my life between getting the pack so you've had and it waiting since. for this, yeah. So did you get it on the first, the Friday drop or the... Uh, the second it? drop I got it on, I think. So the 1am drop? Yeah, yeah. So I, I woke up, set my alarm for 1am, well, just before 1am, and then got my key position, didn't get it till 3am. Um, this is, I'm not, I'm not exaggerating when I say that this has absolutely taken over my life over the past two or three weeks. Um, I've been struggling to sleep, anticipating drops. <laughs> I've been losing money left, right and centre. Uh, I can't stop checking that evaluate.market website that just tells you all about the moments that you own. Um, so I'm kind of jealous of try, Nick's try, bliss try at the moment. moment. Ranks. Try moment rank oh. where it actually looks at the mint value. Uh, so let, before you click yeah. it, I know you're desperate to click yeah. it. Um, what do you want from this pack? Obviously, it's the it's the seeing stars common pack. What are you what are you wanting to to get from it? Well, so so Luca is the the obvious one. He's the guy that I think is going to be the most rare. He's the most valuable of the seeing stars moments, and you're going to get at least wait. You're going to get one seeing star all star in the pack. Um, so he's the one that say, I would want more yeah, than anyone. I'm just going to say, from looking at the pack, and I've said this before, it looks like you're going to open it and there's going to be condoms inside. <laughs> 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 so so he's going to uh, rip the pack yeah. and there's going to be three cards inside. Uh, two of them are just your standard base yep. uh, cards. Uh, and the third one is still a common card, but it's a rising star. As I mentioned, you need to get the rising stars for all of Team KD to complete the KD one. So there's a an expectation that you will ultimately need all of the LeBron players to get the LeBron card at some point. Um, so do you want to do you want to click it yes, open please. and we'll open them one at a Come time? On. Go for it then. Let's let's get the let's click Here it. We go. Okay, open your pack. If we got the music coming through yet? No, we need some. We need some. We need some. I'll get on the keyboard. Oh, here we go. Come on. So we've got three. Now, if you hover over them, uh, does it show any, anything different? So we've just got a normal grey, normal grey, so we don't yeah. know which one is the rising star. Any preference, stars, Mike? Tell us the difference. Uh, well, Nick's not a top shotter. Let's see what he wants. So you get to open all of these, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, right hand side. Okay, here we go. We've got a Nick. Common Austin Rivers. Austin Rivers. <laughs> Come on, Nick. You, you pulled a Nick. There we go. First. <laughs> What, what's the mint on it? I can't see uh, it. 1,477. Over Mike I think. Out of what, 35k? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So fairly low. That's all so right. It's, it's fairly low. It's not too bad. Not bad. Okay. Wow. Number two. Let's go for the middle. We've got a comment. Right. Pelicans. Nikhil Alexander Nikhil Walker. Alexander Walker. 11,000. That's all that, right. The cereal's 11,000. Yeah, I mean, he could get good in the future. So, He's all right. Is that something you'd look to stash then? I mean, I think he's going for like a tenner at the moment, so I'm not going to be making much on him. <laughs> this is the big one. This is the one we so want. the last one then has to be the rising star. Yes. So, fingers crossed for Luca, but we'll see. Here we go. It's a pacer. Oh no, layup it's the bonus. It's a bonus layup. <laughs> That might be the most dull of all the uh, of all the all stars, but it's an all star nonetheless. What, what more than a go bear. <laughs> In a loss to the. I'm really sorry, Tim. I feel like I cursed you wearing a Sabonis jersey for this pod. <laughs> there we go. Number hey, six thousand. Maybe, maybe he's seen his stock rise having won the skills challenge last night. Yeah, maybe. It, but he will be needed for someone to to complete the team, LeBron. So that is true. Um, 
yeah, so it, he will have a an inflated value until that that uh, challenge is over. Um, Next week you'll have a you'll have a pre-order pack. I'll have a pre-order pack. I think Josh Coin will have a pre-order pack. So maybe we can pop a few packs on it, or maybe we'll do a spin-off uh, and just pop packs, so Nick doesn't have to sit there and watch us <laughs> react like this to a, a small, what basically a, a Vine-length video. Um, cool. A uh, couple more things to get through. Uh, let's jump on to some. Uh, oh, oh Hooping and Luton in the chat. He got Go Bear. Yeah, Hooping and Luton got a pack as well. Uh, just every Tommy got a pack as well in in Discord. So many people just got packs except me, and I just feel like just you top did shots. get. Hold up, this isn't a complete sub story. You did get a LeBron the week before. Yeah. Oh no. Uh, yeah. Okay. So let's 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 wipe, open it wide. I I'm, I took a lot of L's and I had high expectations. The week before, maybe or was it two weeks ago? I pulled one of the. Uh, I think they did a stress test. Yeah. Yeah. Like the so 5, they only dropped five thousand packs, and I I got like two hundred eighty seventh in the queue. So I, you know the first drop I'd been able to be part of. And I was absolutely buzzing. And then I I clicked open the first one, and it was a Clint Capella. And I was I'd, I'd called my missus upstairs to come in, <laughs> to, to come and open the pack with me, and uh, <laughs> and she was just looked at Clint Capella, and it's a dunk, and and she was like, "Is that any good?" And I was like, "Well, it's you know it's a decent mint. I think it's like six hundreds or something. The mint is, but it's only it's not worth a lot." Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I clicked the second one. It was KD's first uh, Nets moment. So I was like, yes, you know, pumping arms, um, even though it was a terrible serial number. Uh, but it's limited to 15,000, I think. And then the final one I pulled is basically the best common card you could get now. And it's the the LeBron 3 where he turns around and calls bet whilst the ball's in the air. So incredible moment. And when I pulled that, uh, me and the missus, who's uh, <laughs> five months pregnant now, were just <laughs> dancing silently in the room <laughs> to wake our toddler who's in like two rooms over from me. Um, so yeah, no, I, I I absolutely lucked out on that pack. Uh, it's an incredible pack to to get on your first one anyway. Um, yeah, so <laughs> yeah, I, I too am checking all the things every day. Uh, let's move on to Discord listener questions. Uh, we've had a couple from Hooping and Lutin, Elliot. Um as I sit on my sofa, currently channeling my inner Beyonce, whilst thoroughly enjoying Dreamgirls on the big screen, it got me thinking, which NBA player's career and life would you turn into a musical, and which Hollywood star's vocal range would you have playing the lead role? If you can answer this question with a diamond-encrusted mic, that would be great. So I'm assuming the only one who's likely to have a diamond-encrusted mic is Tom. Um, do you have a diamond-encrusted mic? Why Why did you draw that assumption? Why me? Because <laughs> well, you, you've got a piano next to you. Oh, true. That is keyboard. true. Uh, but no diamonds, and unfortunately. The, and, and you've got the keyboard next to the bed for serenading. <laughs> what else? What, I don't understand. <laughs> and what, you exactly know, The diamond-encrusted right, uh, mic yeah. would just do it perfectly. <laughs> um, <laughs> no mic, uh, but my player is probably a bit out there. Um it would be, and it's probably a bit serious for the for the question that was like quite jokey. Um, Jay Sean Tate. I don't know if you know much about the guy's background. He's a guy that's come onto the scene this year out of nowhere, really, um, and is playing really well for the Houston Rockets. Um, his his backstory is incredible, and so it would make a great musical. I think um, played loads of sports when he was younger. Um, really sad. His mum got stabbed when he was eight in two thousand and four by her boyfriend. Um, Obviously, terrible loss. And then went on to play football in high school, kept getting injured, um, and then got undraft- went undrafted in um, 2018 because he got and then got injured again. Went to play in Belgium, went to play in Australia, and then eventually found his way to the NBA um, and is doing an incredible job. 
and it's just a great backstory. So that's the guy I'm picking. For all those highs and lows, you're going to need someone like Celine Dion with that vocal range to do it any justice in my eyes. Okay, so you, you've you've gone with someone to sing the soundtrack. Yes, yeah, yeah. Versus, right, okay, interesting. I've taken a slightly different approach. Nick, uh, who have you got? I have gone for Jeremy Lin, who I feel like he's had one of the most fascinating uh, NBA timelines of anyone I can think of. Um, just between like coming into the league, playing at Harvard, uh, before that is not like a hotbed of NBA talent. Um, obviously, finally finding a role with the Knicks and uh, just through injuries. Um, and the whole period of insanity was one of my favorite periods as a Knicks fan, just because it was like a story someone had written. Um, particularly the game I'll never forget is we had, I, I was watching the schedule and um, the Lakers coming to Madison Square Garden with Kobe, uh, I'd sort of underlined it as, oh, this is when the storytell ends. And that was arguably his best game he had in that run um, with the Knicks winning that game alongside, like they, they were rolling out guys like uh, Jared Jeffries as a starter. Um, and yeah, I'll never forget that period. It was unbelievable. And for the vocals, uh, I have uh, Chester Bennington, RIP, by the way, from Linkin Park, just because I felt like that sort of uh, rock-rap hybrid would fit the bill. Okay, interesting. Um, yeah, again, you, you two, you, you guys have gone for the story and then a, a, a soundtrack provider. So I've, I've gone with someone to play the the role as well so uh i've got two because i'm greedy uh and i couldn't make my mind up which which one i like more so uh in the new musical just a kid from akron the story of lebron james we've got jason derulo who has both the sideburn chops of lebron and an incredible physique to do all the you know the scenes <laughs> where he's working out on balance balls and things like that so that's my pick for that obviously he can sing as well and then um Freak from the Streets, the Yanis Antetokounmpo story. Donald Glover, who nice. uh, is an incredibly versatile actor, has got that goofy personality down uh, in Community, even does the French rap, which is fantastic in that, um, although not really strictly French. Um, he's an incredibly talented guy, but I think physically he'd struggle, so you'd probably have to film the rest of the, the, you know, all the other characters would have to be like 11 years old or something to make him actually look physically imposing like Yanis now does. Um so those were my two choices. Uh, another question from Elliot. Uh, <laughs> it's common knowledge that Nathan Scott holds the title for the greatest comeback of all time, overcoming a broken spine, a murderous father, multiple sex scandals, a drug addict's mother to become star point guard for the Bobcats. What's your favourite NBA comeback story and why? For anyone else struggling out there, it took me a minute to get, uh, I think I'm correct, that Nathan Scott is One Tree Hills, um, one of the protagonists in that. Shrug shoulders. Yeah. No. My missus watched it. I, I think I'm pretty sure because there was a slam ball episode or something. But anyway, um, who who is your greatest comeback of all time, Tom? Mine was, I mean, it's a similar vein to Jay Sean Tate, but um, Caleb Swanigan, it was another really random player that's actually not playing on a team this year. Um, but his background <laughs> is unbelievable. Um, was grown into a family where... Um, he was really prone to being obese and really tall. And at one point was like 360 pounds when he was in eighth grade. Um, ridiculous. Jeez. Um, 
had a, a really bad home life where his parents were on drugs and there's a lot of domestic assault and stuff. Anyway, eventually this guy, his brother ends up phoning a basketball coach to adopt him permanently as his own child. Um, he then proper cleans up his act, get, loses loads of weight, um, goes to Purdue and absolutely dominates, becomes a McDonald's All-American and then obviously entered the league in 2016, I think, drafted 26th by the Trailblazers. Um, just an amazing ascension from terrible a terrible backstory. I forgot to add actually that he was... Um, he stayed in five different homeless shelters as a kid, um, just because his, his home was that bad. I remember at the bad. time they were comparing his story to the Blind Side as like a basketball yeah, equivalent. Um, so yes, yeah, it's, it's it's an interesting one. That's is that a comeback though, or is that a rags to riches? Yeah, I, yeah, I guess so. He's not come back from anything yet. <laughs> it's just an ascension. But it's <laughs> if he good comes back now, then. <laughs> <laughs> So basically, you want him to put on loads of weight again and then <laughs> come back from maybe it. Maybe he has. So maybe I want him to lose it all again and get back okay. into the NBA. And I, he was a, I quite liked him uh, as a Blazers, uh, Blazers fan. Um, thought he was a physical presence and expected him to hang around in the league a bit longer than he did. I think he had two stints at the Blazers in the end and uh, somewhere else in between. Nick, who have you gone for? Just as a, a quick uh, reference back to Jason Derulo, in a very surreal moment, I briefly met him in China. Uh, he sang the official song for the FIFA World Cup, and he gave me advice on where to buy shoes in Hong Kong, which I later actioned. So shout out, Jason Derulo. Um, <laughs> my greatest comeback is Magic Johnson, who... Uh, forced to retire in 1991 after contracting HIV. Um, and I think it's easy to forget how ignorant uh, most of the world was about that virus and how serious it was and what it meant and how people who were treated who had that illness um, and coming back to win the All-Star Game MVP after it was voted in by fans and then making another comeback in uh, 96, putting on, having put on some weight, he came back having transitioned from a point guard to a power forward, still had the hook game around the rim, still a good player. Um, so just for the role he played in uh, educating the wider world about HIV, I think it's Magic Johnson. Yeah, I think that's a, I think that was an incredible comeback. Um, like You're right, what he did in terms of pushing the, the conversation on AIDS and HIV right to the forefront and just waking everyone up really to it. Uh, it's, yeah, incredible comeback. And, uh, you know, that was 91, obviously the dream team after that. And then a second comeback as well. Um, yeah, okay, that's that's a tough one to beat. Uh, I'm not sure I'm going to do it, uh, but the comeback I've got comes from uh, March the 18th, 1995. And it was a fax that simply said, I'm back. And it marked the return of Jordan and... Uh, we forget about the the the, the ninety four ninety five flame out to Orlando, and we'll go straight to the three chips that he picked up in ninety six, ninety seven, and ninety eight. That has to be the greatest comeback in terms of reattaining your spot at the pinnacle of the NBA. Um, <clears throat> let's move on to the next question, Matt Suns fans UK. As you're doing All Star and Top Shot, what All Star moments would be the rarest, most expensive Top Shots of all time? Not just last night. So, is there any particular All Star moments that you think? Let's go, you, Nick. First, you have a you have a uh, a similar age to me. Um, so you're probably going to reach back like I've done. What sort of moments stand out for you that you would like to see digitized on a non fungible token? 
<sighs> so it's weird, actually. Like, all-star games, they have great plays in them, but they it's not like the playoffs where you get these memorable moments. So it's actually quite a hard one, I think. And weirdly, the plays that stick out when in my mind when I first think of this are quite random. So uh, 96 or 97, I forget which, uh, Shaq had an insane dunk over David Robinson. Um, 96. Yeah. Um, so that immediately comes to mind for me for some reason. Um, also, and it's difficult because it doesn't really count as a moment, but the I think it was 2001, the small ball lineup for the East coming back for the West. And there were a few Iverson and Marbury plays in that run that were, uh, that was one of my favorite All-Star games. So also the, sorry, I'm going on a little bit here, but I, these are the things that come to mind for me. Um, old, M, old Wizards MJ going back and forth with Kobe at the end of one of, I forget which year that was, uh, also an incredible uh, moment. And really some more. Oh, three. I, I would take his missed dunk from that as a yeah. moment. <laughs> awesome. Uh, Tom, any all-star moments you would like to see as Top Shot moments? Yeah, so I'm probably swayed a bit more by recency bias. Um, I think, I mean, I didn't see it live, obviously, but the Vince Carter dunk is, uh, is iconic. I think we'll... So the 2000 dunk contest we're talking about, the elbow hang. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, would be huge. I, th- I mean, most of mine are dunks, to be honest. There's not much from the All-Star Games that stands out to me um, recently anyway. Um, some combination of the Levine-Gordon dunk contest would be good. One of the Aaron Gordon ones over the mascot on mm-hmm. the boogie board would be would be good for me. Um, and then, I mean, there's a lot of iconic ones, whether you're going to go like Blake Griffin over the car or Dwight as Superman. I think I would like to have in my collection. So one of those. If we're including the uh, Saturday or traditionally Saturday events, the other one I, I definitely think of is Larry Bird winning the three-point contest in his warm-up jacket, uh, walking away before the last ball goes through the net. Uh, just so uh, embodied, Larry Bird. I think that's another one. You, you, the moment you'd want is the pre-game or the pre-competition locker room scene where he says who's shooting mm. for second. <laughs> That's, uh, um, f- for me, I had the Vince dunk contest if we were including Saturdays. I had 96 Shaq dunk. Uh, T-Max 2004 off the backboard to himself was pretty sick. Uh, and 2001, Jason Kidd's 75-foot buzzer beater where he just launched it and just cashed it straight I've out. forgotten about that. It was a... Oh, man. It's, it's one of the all-star moments that's just embedded in my brain. Um... Next question then, uh, about the All-Star from Hick4. What challenge would you introduce into the All-Star weekend? And do I hold my Hachimura Rising Star on Top Shot <laughs> or is it sell time? Uh, before we answer that, we are not giving financial advice, but, <laughs> <laughs> but, but we, can, uh, we can get into it a bit. Uh, any, any events you would like to introduce into the All-Star weekend? I think the obvious one for me that will never happen is a one-on-one competition because that would be really compelling in that guys who are entering that, they have to play hard basically, otherwise they shouldn't be in it. Um, And it would be really interesting to see who was brave enough to go in for that because let's say a big name player goes in and gets embarrassed. I don't know. It, it takes some balls to go in for something like that. So I'd be curious to see who went into that and who w- would win it because there's there would be some real kudos in winning that among other players. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, I think I think there would. I think one of what you stole mine. One on ones is the obvious choice. Um, 
I think the four point line that we were going to mention earlier that Kirk's mentioned as well in the chat. Um, you might as well at this point throw some gimmicks into the actual game because it's it's so pointless in terms of like how competitive it is anyway. Um, and you've got Steph and and Dame pulling up from like it's not even the logo at this point. It's like the halfway line knocking them down. So you might as well incentivize that a little bit and just make it as much of a it's more of a parody of the NBA than a game at the moment. So if you're going to go down that way, then go all in. Fair enough. I've, I've, I went really off kilter with these. Um, I'd like to see a pressure dribbling game called Can You Handle It? Where basically all the all-stars start in, you know, this is, you, you'll remember this drill basically, Nick. You, so the drill would be you'd have all 24 all-stars in, the, in one half of the court. And then you, the idea is you keep hold of your ball and knock the other person's ball out of bounds. So we really get to see who can handle the ball well. As the number of players reduce, the size shrinks until you're playing in literally the circle at the top of the key. And then it's just two of you in there. Um, there's that one. Chicken scratch. Did you ever do chicken scratch when you were, you probably called it something else, Nick, where the ball's on the middle of the floor, the whistle was blown, and two of you just had to fight for that ball? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you were like, this is literally, yeah. So I'd like to see stuff like that where we can try and introduce some rivalry and competitiveness. I also would not want to be anyone facing someone like Zion Williamson who might <laughs> land on them. Um, and then the third one, I want, let's get a celebrity involved, stick them at the top of the three-point line and get them to shoot threes. And this is based on another drill we used to do, which is a rebounding drill where you'd have to box out essentially until the ball had bounced twice. So you get someone, it could be Adam Silver if we're, you know, if we're not inviting people into the building still. So he shoots a three and then two guys on the low block, two guys on the elbow uh, each side have to box the other one out and you get points for each time the offense don't get the ball. I think you could just like, I don't even know like the, what, what, how you would crown a winner, but I'd just like to see some sort of different sort of something that just drove competitiveness. Yeah, I like that. Just, Based on your first I, I, one as well, could we combine the skills challenge, which is quite dull at the moment, with like a total wipeout style thing <laughs> where they're having stuff launched at them and they've got to go through water and, and all sorts. That would be That would be amazing. Like the moving targets and stuff <laughs> yeah. so they have to run. And like, yeah, that, oh, really good. Um, okay. Uh, then what was the, oh, the second part of the question? Wasn't Do I hold my Hachimura Rising Star on Top Shot or, or is it sell time? Um, difficult question because obviously we're not going to give financial advice the thing with Hachimura that stands out differently to, to anyone else really in this is the sort of the following he has in Japan I don't know if Japan are yet on mm. top shot but I would I would expect some kind of a local fandom to really appreciate Hachimura uh, in their own collections much in the same way that I am quite proud of my OG Ananobi Series 1 card um, just because of the British tie. Yeah. I imagine someone else out there is quite sad like me and if it's a decent mint, that's the other thing as well. We don't know what mint this is so it might be worth $10, it might be worth $1,000. Hold it to the moon. That's what I'm saying. Hold it to the moon <laughs> as you go, mate. Yeah. I do think this is like a really, really practical thing. The, the prices are always so low after the drops and we've had so many drops recently so definitely in the short term I'd hold it for a little bit but then I've been wrong about loads of it so far so equally don't listen to me. Is it, is it part of a challenge though? Is there a, a risk that uh, the... Oh, maybe. Is, it, is there a risk that it, it, after a certain length of time it it doesn't count for anything? Yeah, I guess if you hold it um, long term, you're going to be waiting a few years rather than like months, but that's the game. Fair enough. Hope that answered the question. Okay. 
Uh, we're running way long. Uh, games of the week. Uh, Tom, who have you got? Uh, so a bit biased again, but I think it will be one of the better games. Thursday night, half past 12, we've got the Celtics at the Nets. Um, both very informed, actually, if you're coming into like what they've, what they've been playing uh, before the All-Star breaks. So if they can both carry that over, um, both will be thinking they've got a realistic chance of winning and it should be a good matchup. Yeah, I think that's a good shout. Uh, Nick, who have you got? I, I've been uh, talking about the Blazers a lot and I've stayed on that uh, bandwagon. Suns at Blazers uh, on Thursday mm-hmm. at 3 a.m. So maybe maybe one to watch the next day. But I like watching both of those teams. A lot of firepower on both teams. So it should be a fun one. Yeah, I, I was torn between two because uh, I thought <clears throat> Pistons at Nets might have some, certainly, you know, with Blake being involved, might have some... Uh, some interest for me, but I've gone with Grizz and, uh, Grizzlies at the Thunder on Sunday at 6pm because that's a, a great time for British citizens to, British citizens, <laughs> people in the UK to watch, <laughs> to you watch the NBA. The British passport, um, you can't watch it. If you, you don't have a British passport, it. it's a terrible time. Um, but yeah, you know, like I say, I, I'm quite keen to see what the Grizzlies do the second half of their season. The Thunder are not, uh, not a bad team at all. They're pretty, pretty solid. Uh, SGA versus Jar Morant throwing a bit of Lou Dort on Jar Morant. Uh, I, I'm all up for that. Um, okay, so we will end the show there. Thanks to everyone for dropping in tonight. Thank you for all the follows, etc. Uh, thank you to um, apparently Kirk, Kirk saying, get ready to play us out, Tom. Um, uh, but thank you to the Drew League for hosting us. Uh, we will be back next week. Probably going to rip some more Top Shop packs. Why not? Sounds like fun. If you're not already, make sure you're following us at Double Clutch UK, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. We are on Discord, which is discord.me slash Double Clutch. Find us on twitch.tv slash Double Clutch UK. Thank you to Kirk again for hosting this. Uh, we'll see you next week. Take care. See ya. Cheers. Cheers.